welcome to the DDP podcast channel. We sincerely hope you will enjoy this episode. Don't forget to turn on your notification bell and to follow us right here on Spotify for more podcast episodes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you might be joining us today. Thank you for coming into this episode of DDP Podcasts. Um, today, I'm joined by Diana, who is the country coordinator for APRM in South Africa. I will link, as usual, the full bio of our guest speaker. And I am so excited to enter this conversation uh, with her. We're speaking all things uh, women and representation in parliamentary settings. Um, and I think this conversation um, in placement with Youth Month is so crucial because amongst the youth, the most disenfranchised is actually young women. And so having these conversations in terms of their empowerment and their future just in general in South Africa and their feeling of representation is so crucial and so important. But before we get into that, Diana, just the formalities, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Yanga. Um, I'm doing very well. <laughs> and then it was a long weekend, so I think uh, time to rest, spend time with family. So, yeah, it, I'm, I'm glad to be here today. And uh, once again, I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Amazing. So just to start with um, just some groundwork for our audience, um, can you just tell us about your work at um, APRM? All right, yes. So um, the African Peer Review Mechanism, which um, is shortened into the APRM, um, is an autonomous entity of the African Union. It was created in 2003, um, and the founding countries, uh, there were five founding countries. South Africa was one of them at the time of Tabumbeki, President Tabumbeki. And um, it is um, an institution to which EU member states voluntarily um, conduct reviews. Um, so reviews, if you can call them like self-monitoring um, sort of exercise. Um, so um, on the theme of um, governance. So basically uh, the APRM is an autonomous entity um, to which uh, EU member states voluntarily self-monitor their governance. Uh, performance um, using a very specific and unique uh, methodology, which um, um, I will <laughs> break down. Um, but um, in terms of um, the performance and the progress uh, of those countries that are measured, uh, we use five thematic areas, which is democracy and political governance, economic governance, um, the other one, Actually, the economic governance and management, the other ones, corporate governance, socioeconomic uh, development. And the fifth one, which was recently added, I mean, not really recently, as uh, it's as old as uh, the COVID 19 pandemic, um, which was in 2020. So in 2020, the APRM added a fifth thematic area, which is uh, state resilience, um, just to assess you know, how countries are actually performing in terms of. Um, um, having the right mechanism, uh, legal framework, the right um, um, legal frameworks, but also institu institutional frameworks in place in order to um, see um, if the country is resilient enough uh, or if there's any gaps or progress that needs to be 
uh, made in terms of resilience. Um, so in short, um, the APM raison d'etre is um, to promote good governance. As I had briefly mentioned the methodology, what we do at EPRM is that we have put together a very unique um, methodology, which was actually um, innovated by Africans for Africans. Um, it's a methodology that has been adapted into the African context, you know, because uh, very often um, and in the past, we've seen that uh, the systems that we, uh, that we have in place in Africa um, the, the processes that we've put in place in, in Africa, Africa are very much um, um, replicated from the, from the West, you know. Um, so this uh, methodology which we apply at the APRM is a very thorough process that is summarized in six, um, six steps. It consists of uh, the nomination of national structures, national structures, um, our national secretariat. So I work for the continental secretariat of APRM and at national level in all countries, we have um, secretariats which work hand in hand with the focal point. The focal point is a minister um, or a high level government official that basically um, builds, uh, is the link between the APRM and uh, the head of government. Um, or the head of state. So basically this minister is like a special advisor to uh, a head of state or, or, or head of government of a country that will advise him and on the, on the APRM uh, related issues. And when you say APRM, you speak of governance, obviously. Um, so this, uh, the, the, this um, process, as I say, starts with the national structures which are founded by the country as I have to remind, remind here, um, the APRM is a voluntary country, so country will accede to the APRM voluntarily. And uh, once they accede to the, to the APRM, it means that they commit to undertaking um, uh, to undertaking or, uh, or seeing through the APRM process. So yeah, first step, nomination of national structures. Second step is the country self-assessment report where the country will now um, decide, okay, let's gather all the stakeholders, let's bring everyone around the table, and then let's just um, assess how we are doing on those five thematic areas I mentioned earlier. Uh, we do that using a questionnaire, and um, the country basically will would adopt this questionnaire, which is the key instrument for APRM, and um, the, the country will uh, run this questionnaire through um, a set of stakeholders that are representing all the trenches of society, and that's where women actually get to also make their hear vo uh, their, their their voice heard. Um, the the next step once this country self assessment report is consolidated with all the findings that uh, that resulted from the consultations using the questionnaire, uh, the APRM undertakes a review mission. So. As at the, at the Continental Secretariat, we are now deployed into countries. Um, we also call upon other experts, other institutions, civil society organizations, um, other African Union um, institutions also to come on board uh, because we try to rely on the expertise of the different bodies um, and uh, to tackle those issues, democratic issues, economic issues, um, 
obviously economic governance issues, corporate governance issues, socioeconomic development and state resilience issues. Um, so once we undertake this field mission for which we refer as the review mission, um, we the outcome of it is a report. And this report has a national plan of action, uh, a national plan of action, which um, basically lay out the recommendations and the plan on how to implement those recommendations into um, in, into um, the country uh, with regards to the issues that were raised or the findings that were raised uh, by um, through the through the process. Um, so. After this, this report is validated by you know different stakeholders at continental level, but also national level. So um, the country will convene the different stakeholders, civil society organizations, women, uh, youth, uh, media, um, all the different groups to come and you know like review the report, validate it, and then uh, this report is submitted to the head of state which will now present it to his peers at the AU Assembly, the African Union Assembly, which takes place every year between January and February. Um, at that level, it means that the head of states and the country has endorsed the report. Um, uh, it means that AU policy bodies have endorsed the report and the report will now be launched into the country by the country. Um, which will now serve um, as a ground to start implementing the recommendations. Um, those recommendations are integrated into existing national development plan for countries that do have national different development plan. Um, so I'm going into the details a little bit, but yeah, just um, to give you an idea of what um, APRM actually does and what our responsibility, me, myself as a country coordinator, uh, basically is to oversee this process into the countries which have been allocated to. There's quite a few of us. Um, I'm responsible for a few countries in Central Africa, um, like uh, like uh, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Um, well, what I need to mention, though, is that one of the key, really, that we try to bring in, uh, the key aspect that we try to maintain and bring into the, the, the APRM process where it's lacking, um, is that uh, we try to ensure as much as possible broad-based stakeholder participation and especially, especially women and youth. Um, so as much as we have a youth um, desk at APRM, we also have like a gender program that, you know, ensures, you know, the mainstreaming of gender into governance processes and governance related issues um, on the continent. So, yeah, so that's more or less it. <laughs> I think I, I, that gives you a picture of what APRM does. Thank you. Oh, it definitely gives a, a very expansive picture. And I'm just thinking here. Um, if our podcast topic was just us discussing APRM, I'd have even crazier questions in terms of um, how does the integration look like in NDPs? I mean, I'm thinking of South Africa's NDP for 2030. Um, and the last time it was edited, which sometimes you're a little bit embarrassed to even think about, um, and kind of like the role APRM uh, plays in holding states accountable to um, value those recommendations because they're not being gathered out of thin air. I think the methodology you guys use is a methodology that is true and sticks. Um, 
And it would be very interesting to explore kind of like the role that the government or even necessarily a ruling party plays in either just seeing those recommendations as decoration or actually taking them like seriously. Um, But really neither here nor there, maybe in another podcast, we can discuss exactly just that. Um, But I want us to zone in on this importance of good governance, right? Um, From what I'm hearing, it's kind of like at the core of APRM, um, all the different uh, five uh, methodologies that you guys use and the strategies that you have in order to be able to gather data. Um, At the end of it, right, it's the promotion of good governance, but good governance often is paired with democracy. Um, And so just to make it relatable to women, I just wanted you to maybe draw a picture for us of the relationship between good governance and democracy and women's rights. Thank you. Yes. Um, Like I was saying, um, at the the heart of APRM is good governance. And um, in terms of like giving you a clearer picture of, you know, the relationship between governance, democracy and women's rights is that, um, first of all, democracy is a pillar for good governance, um, which APRM promotes, as I mentioned. Um, so when you look at the core of democracy is the respect of human rights as well. And when we speak of human rights, we also speak of women's rights. So basically that's where the trade comes from, is that uh, you cannot have good governance without having um, democracy, which, uh, which stands for human rights and women's rights. Um, so by acceding to the APRM, um, African uh, member states, um, African Union member states agreed to uh, independently um, review their, the, I mean, the compliance of um, the African international governance commitments. Uh, when I talk about commitments, we are actually talking about, um, you know, legal instruments and um, standard and codes. So that's where like the Declaration of Human Rights comes in. That's where um, the Charter of Elimination of Discrimination Against Women comes, comes in, so CEDAW. And that's where also the Maputo Protocol comes in. So you'll see that uh, when you talk about good governance, it means that we must review um, and um, promote instruments or come up with instruments. So basically look at policy formulation, um, and all these things in in line with um, in line with the texts that promote democracy. We also have ACDEC, um, and in line with the texts that promote uh, women's rights, like I mentioned, Maputo the Maputo Protocol and and CEDA, which uh, has been ratified by most of African countries. Uh, I think in the Maputo Protocol as well. Um, there's, in Africa, there's only two countries. Uh, which have not ratified it as yet. Um, actually, I think it's just one. I just have to double check again. Uh, no, I believe Sudan... it's, it's one now. Yeah. Yes. I, Sudan, I... Yes. Oh, mm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So basically, uh, noting, for instance, now, CEDO, Map of the Protocol, which are the two main instruments promoting women's rights, those uh, instruments are integrated within the governance processes which, prom- which APRM is promoting and has, as I mentioned earlier on, one of the pillar of uh, governance is democratic and political governance. So yeah, so 
uh, th that's where the, the, the threat is really. Um, you know, to have good governance, you have to be able to assess a country on its democratic um, on on the, on the democratic pillar. And when assessing the democratic pillar, you have to break it down and look at um, the the elements that touch on. Uh, human rights and women's rights. And um, I'll add to that that actually APRM instruments, uh, the questionnaire which I mentioned earlier, um, actually has um, talks to all those different pillars. So democratic pillar, the economic governance pillar, and all those governance pillars. And when we look at, and I, I'm happy to share with you the, the questionnaire, um, when you look at the questionnaire and you look at the democratic and political governance uh, section, and you look at the indicators that have been developed there, uh, they are uh, they they ask they they speak directly to human rights and women's rights actually, and we touch on women's political participation um, and all those issues you know that really pertains to women, um, even in terms of peace and security issues, um, looking at the nexus between peace, security, um, and women, also the role of women in you know peace processes um, and uh, and conflict prevention and conflict resolutions. Um, so really, um, you will see that women is really at the, at the um, one of the the standing leg of democracy and um, in the in the in the bigger picture uh, governance. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard to disassociate, disassociate uh, these three elements. Um, I think to me they are definitely interdependent, and uh, I, I hope that in my explanation I have um, <laughs> I have illustrated it <laughs> uh, quite accurately for you. No, definitely. And I agree with your um, explanation of it, right? So uh, the relationship between democracy and human rights is symbiotic and even more so within human rights of those who don't have the full fruition of their rights in the first place, especially women in context of conflict. I mean, they're the most affected by conflict, um, whether it's in terms of um, sexual impact that the conflict has got um, or even the fact that they become now the breadwinners at home um, when the men have kind of like been drafted to go and serve the country and the implications of that. Um, and I think now maybe just to get into the practicalities of it, right? Um, I think the big question I have, and it's something that's very unique on the African continent, um, we have women leaders, right, in positions of power, um, MPs who are sitting in parliament. Um, and I mean, I'm thinking of the case of Rwanda now, having the biggest parliament with women representation in it. Um, and even here in South Africa, we have a pretty fair representation of women in, in, in these legislative um, uh, powers and seats. But I was curious now, if there's a, a a relationship between that representation, that formal representation, and the actual participation of women in democracy who are not in those positions of power. So maybe to break it down even more, um, just because there's a woman in power, does that mean that the women who don't have that power feel represented by that woman. Um, and just to get like your thoughts on that, particularly on like a parliamentary level. Now that's a very good one because uh, we've been 
creating it um, through our engagement also on like uh, when we go to field missions. Um, it's something that, you know, always, um, always comes under our, you know, uh, our, uh, our pen, especially because we, we, we see it um, that, you know, women's, women's rights has kind of evolved, um, women's participation has kind of increased, you know, to some extent in, in certain countries. Um, over time, especially if you look at, you know, since like my, the 90s <laughs> to today, we can definitely say that, you know, there's been some kind of improvements, you know. Um, I mean, today women in Africa, in all countries have the right to vote. In terms of leadership um, in 2020, um, Africa, is second actually to Europe in terms of female heads of parliaments. Um, from um, the, the last time I checked, I think 16 versus 17 uh, female female heads. Uh, we have female heads in um, in parliaments uh, in Africa and 17 in Europe. Uh, as compared to Asia, I think there's eight women speakers. And um, in Middle East and in America, very surprisingly, uh, from last time I checked, which was maybe like a year ago, uh, I'm saying that we just have to double check the, <laughs> the, 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 the stats, you know, as we stand today. But um, um, in America, we were talking about, we were talking about um, America and Middle East used to be uh, one last time I checked. Um, so, and like you mentioned, in Rwanda, we have about 61% women in parliament. Um, South Africa actually is second to, is, is second on the continent. I think um, there's about 46 women. And um, Senegal, and it is, South Africa is followed by Senegal and, um, and uh, Namibia. Excuse me, we'll just have to pause. Someone is knocking on my door. <laughs> All right, we can carry on. Cool. So in terms of, yes, I was explaining that um, South Africa follows Rwanda with 46%. Senegal is also about, just about the same as um, South Africa. I think this is sitting on like 42. Um, once again, we just have to double check. <laughs> and then it's followed by Namibia, who's fourth. Um, so, and yeah, but then to come back to your question is that, um, the relationship between, you know, these numbers that we see in terms of, you know, like women representation in parliament and the, the actual impact, um, it's um, it's 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 an issue where we actually it did in terms of impact. I will definitely say that there's been some increase has um, that has resulted um, in terms of like. Um, Promoting gender equality, especially from a women's rights perspective, um, countries that have been ratifying or domesticating instruments um, or laws promoting women's um, promoting women's uh, women's rights and uh, political participation, like in Niger, um, the women in parliaments. We were in Niger in 2021, and um, on the ground we have. Um, taken note of like the the increase in terms of like representation in Niger as an example from 12% to 26% over a period of like more or less 10, 10 years and um, the result on the grounds 
uh, obviously we have to take into account the context and uh, the context of the country. We have to take into account, you know, other elements that might have contributed to the such results. But then um, we we can we have noted that some of the some laws uh, promoting women and um, gender equality have actually been implemented, you know, um, as a result, uh, whether directly or indirectly, to to uh, this increase of representation in Parliament. Um, but I will say once again, I think the, the best practice that we keep quoting all the time is Rwanda. Uh, Rwanda is a great example of how numbers can impact society. Um, Rwanda since 1994 has emerged as a fast growing economy. Um, as we all know, and um, it's part of the world's 10 fastest growing economies with, uh, with an estimated um, growth rate of about 7.9%. And like I mentioned earlier in Rwanda, um, they it's the highest, <laughs> knows the highest number of women representation in parliament, I mean, 61%. Um, so I think to some extent, we can definitely note that there is um, a relation between number and impact. However, I would like to say that the context of, of a country also plays a very big role. When I say context is because um, in um, um, in Sudan, for instance, you know, they've been going through, you know, the transition and right now they are in conflict and so on. So as much as, you know, there's been some progress in, um, in the in the legal uh, in the legal framework promoting women in Sudan, um, you can see that actually there's no the parliament has been suspended since 2019. So uh, for me, it's always about you know as much as in Rwanda we have cases where we can actually you know highlight you know the progress. Um, that Rwanda has made and that we can link it back to the fact that, you know, there's more women involved in politics represented in parliament, um, also in other situations, um, this relationship can be a bit more difficult to, to trace or might not actually be related. Sometimes actually we'll see that the civil society uh, on the ground is the one that's actually um, driving the driving the change in the country. And I would like to say once again, for instance, that's the, that's the case with Sudan. Um, so, and once again, when I talk about Sudan, yet again, women are you know, really at the forefront of these changes happening. Um, so yeah, that's what I would, uh, I would say from my, from my perspective with regards to, to, to this question on the relationship is that there is an existing relationship. We can prove it in some instances. Um, in other instances, we should also take into account, you know, other factors, you know, and other players like civil societies because they actually do also play a, a role and they may actually drive more impacts um, towards, you know, uh, women's rights and even promoting women into, uh, into leadership position, you know, so yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I think your last point there with the role of civil society and the role civil society plays in not only promoting human rights, but just the protection of those who are minorities in society um, links very well with the next question I actually want to ask you and our last uh, question for our conversation. Um, 
maybe you've touched on it already a little bit, but maybe we can expand on it a bit more. Um, what role do you think civic organizations like DDP and accountability organizations like APRM um, play when it comes to promoting women's representation and political um, participation in not only just South Africa, but like the whole continent? Okay, I think something that um, DDP and uh, APRM have in common is um, that ability to you know build capacity for capacity building, which I think is like so crucial. And like I don't think that we can emphasize enough on it. Uh, why I'm saying that capacity building is important is because um, first of all, from an APRM. Uh, point of view is that APRM promotes dialogue. APRM is a platform that builds a bridge uh, among the different stakeholders. And when I say in the different stakeholders, I'm talking about state actors and non-state actors. State actors, you have the governments, obviously. <laughs> um, and then the non-state actors, that's where now you have your civil society organizations, you have the private sector, and all of that. So very often in the countries in Africa, and I'm sure it can pretty be similar in other parts of the world, is that um, there is a communication gap. Um, you have the civil societies, you have the ordinary citizen on one side uh, raising issues, but they're not. There's no means of escalating it to, you know, government issues. Um, they do not have access to the parliament. Um, that would uh, be now able to you know, put together the right policies you know, to address certain issues. Um, and I think that the work that APRM does will now to bring those different actors and say to them like, hey, listen, you need to speak to each other. Um, and this is how we'll even provide you a way of you know, going about it. Yes, it's the methodology which you know, provide, which I had touched on earlier on. And um, uh, it also involves capacity building because when the country puts together those national structures, I just have to go a little bit deep into it because I mentioned the focal points earlier on. I mentioned the National Secretariat, but I did not mention the National Governing Council, which is paramount in the APRM process because the National Governing Council represents civil society organizations. The National Governing Council is the basically the representative of all the different layers of society, the private sector, the media, all of those components are represented within this National Governing Council, obviously by a few members, but then they stand as ambassadors. And they, this National Governing Council is the one driving this APRM governance process in the country. When they are set up, the structures are set up, the APRM conducts capacity building uh, workshops where uh, we now prepare them to, you know, um, undertake this exercise of review. And by preparing them, that's when we say that, you know, if you have civil society, what are your issues? Here is a tool. Um, this is how you can use it. But then we also invite, you know, state actors to the table. So having all of them in one room actually facilitate the, 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 this, this dialogue, but then also put them on the same level of understanding and bring in that inclusiveness um, element to it. Um, so for us also, it's more about, you know, teaching, not teaching because we're not teachers, but, you know, trying to, you know, um, share experiences 
and the best practices in terms of governance, looking at those different issues. When it comes to democratic and political governance, let not the government alone come up with solutions. Let it be an inclusive process. Um, so that's when, when they all in that room, when we talk about capacity building, we also uh, we also talk about, okay, how do you, um, you, you say that you have issues of gender-based violence, okay? Um, how do you develop a law, um, you know, that will speak to gender-based violence, but you don't bring the other actors to the table? So the women are not present, the children, are, the, the children, like, I mean, youth associations are not present. Um, the school bodies are not present. Um, so it's more about, you know, like sensitizing um, the government and say that, okay, you cannot uh, do this process alone. You have to be accountable. And also it's about also giving responsibilities to um, to the citizen so that the citizen knows what the government has committed to. And the government knows that he can rely on the citizens to, you know, put, you know, follow the law, you know, be accountable, be, um, you, you know, be basically serve as a, you know, as citizens, we are basically the ones that live through the decisions that are made, hello, <laughs> that are made through, <laughs> through the, 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 the government bodies and so on and so forth, like the parliament and so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, we are the beneficiary of that. Um, so yeah, so there's this inter interrelation, this um, interconnection that, that that is created when we conduct those kind of uh, workshop. Um, and through uh, we try to maintain these touch points across the process um, um, through these NGC bodies which we have um, institutionalized in countries. I mean, not we, but in countries have institutionalized in in their respective countries. Um, so I understand that uh, when I think of DDP, I, I can definitely see how DDP can, you know, also play a role. Let's say, you know, from my perspective, from an APRM perspective, it would be now to have, you know, DDP um, talking about or sensitizing um, parliamentarians, uh, sensitizing, you know, other government bodies, you know, about the work that APRM is doing and also seeing how, you know, like um, women can be more, um, included into the process because I can tell you one thing is that one thing that APRM struggle with is that um, the fact that there's no we we know that sometimes in countries when we uh, we we go to there is um, a lack of knowledge about what the APRM is within the government. Uh, you, you might some few actors in the government might know about the APRM about you know how to promote governance uh, in terms of a governance and the national plan of action which we put in place but then the parliament is not aware of it um so women in parliament don't even know that have um a tool that has led to a report a very comprehensive report about issues which uh concerns them you know and um, so I think in terms of bridging this gap, that's where, you know, like um, it's like civil institutions can come in and say like, listen, our country has committed to, to the APRM process, which is the governance process, you know, to promote good governance. Um, from that, we have developed a report as a nation. Um, and we have come up with recommendations and there is a national plan of action, which says that, you know, 
um, this is how yeah, we're going to implement, we're going to have a law on gender-based violence, and this is the time frame for it. And for implementation, this is the time frame. So really, it's it's a very comprehensive um, um, plan that that is the outcome or uh, that is the outcome of this uh, of this report review uh, review report and uh, i can tell you south africa has done two, two of them already so south africa has already done two country reviews um and the last one was done in 2021 is about to be launched normally this year and um, this country review report includes a national plan of action we call them npoa and um, to your to to link back to the national development plan which you were mentioning so the <laughs> so what some countries do is that they use the national plan of action as the new the national development plan of action however um, if there's already a national development plan in place and it coincides with the implementation period of the national plan of action, then we integrate the two. So it will just be a matter now of you know like look, looking at the areas that needs to be improved or like the the, the way to synergize, uh, refine the re refine the action plan. I mean the the, the action points uh, or the strategies that have to you know follow those actions and so on and so forth. So uh, we have a whole department that takes care of that. <laughs> and assist the countries to, you know, um, either come up with um, uh, actually that come up with a national plan of action, and that also helps, you know, integrate the national plan with the national plan of action. And I think that's where um, the civil uh, civil civil society organizations and um, institutions like DDP and um, can support APRM actually in terms of, you know, ensuring following up with the implementation of those um of um, of those recommendations um within the national plan of action so yeah that's more or less it <laughs> awesome uh diana damba thank you so much um for having this conversation um with us i think um it's pretty obvious like there's so many facets to the work that aprm is doing um but also I think it's really great that it always grounds itself to civil work, right? Um, because I think people would assume that, oh, okay, you're doing this reviewing thing, so it must be the state only that needs to be um, assessed in, you know, in terms of how things are looking politically. Um, I really like that category of state resilience that you had mentioned um, because the implications of how resilient a state is or not resilient a state is, is so multifaceted. It can impact market, it can impact civil society, can impact even the family circle. If we're really going into like the political terms of how everything functions. Um, and I commend the work that you guys do. And um, from DDP, we're grateful to have the partnership with you guys and um, to continue um, uh, having the two organizations work towards this common goal, this overarching goal of promoting good governance and democracy um, across the African continent. Um, but with that being said, thank you so much um, for joining us today. I really, really uh, do appreciate it. 
um to our viewers on youtube and to our listeners on spotify thank you for sticking through i know this episode is not our typical uh 20 minute one but i think the conversation was so rich that it made it worth it so well done for making it to this part of the episode if you are there um i look forward to releasing the next podcast stay tuned as we will be discussing all things youth related and continuing this discussion on uh, women's rights as uh, Women's Month is coming up very soon. But with that being said, Diana, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me once again. Take care. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out our social media pages at DDP underscore democracy to engage with more of our content. Or you can head on over to our website at ddp.org.za to keep up with any events that we might have planned for you. Thank you once again for joining us.